0: just pray let's just come to God and pray let's just quieten our hearts father i just want to thank you thank you for the privilege that we have of knowing you that father each of us here is called by your name you have called us to be adopted as your sons and daughters and thank you lord we have such a precious faith and thank you god that this is just the beginning You want to bring us to so much more. And Father, as we come to You this morning, we ask that, Lord, You will open up Your Word to us. We thank You that, Holy Spirit, You are here to be our teacher. We pray that, Lord, we will hear from You today. And, Lord, we will, as we seek after You, Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray. Bless this time and and help all our thoughts, Lord, and focus to be on You this morning. Enable me. Thank you that you are greater than all my limitations. And Father, may your word, Lord, come forth to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, today we are starting a new sermon series on Titus. Okay, Titus is the letter, it's one of three pastoral letters uh, that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote and is, which we have in the New Testament. And really, at the heart of this letter, is the Apostle Paul's concern that the Church of God stay uh, and grow in being sound in faith, okay? So that's really the heart of the Apostle Paul, that we be sound in faith. So what is sound in faith? The word sound appears five times in this short letter to Titus and refers two times to sound in faith, it refers two times to sound doctrine and it refers one time to soundness of speech. And so you get a sense that being sound in faith has to do with sound doctrine and sound speech. But in fact, it refers to more than sound speech. Paul opens the letter to Titus by saying this. He says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So, right up front, Paul tells us what he stands for. He states his overarching concern, which is really for the faith of God's elect, which is for our faith, your faith, my faith, and for their knowledge of the truth, which is sound doctrine but it doesn't stop at knowing the truth. It is a truth that must lead to godliness. And in terms of sound speech, definitely, but beyond that, it also must be sound behaviour, sound conduct, and I'll sum this up as sound living. So these three sermons on Titus are called for us To be, to stay, to grow, sound in the faith, sound in our doctrine, sound in the way we live. Today, I will speak on the aspect of, a bit small, setting things right, and then senior pastor will speak next on teach what's right. And the last sermon will be on do what's right taken by Deacon Dr. Raj. So let's begin today's sermon. After the opening remarks, Paul goes into two sections which we will cover. And But really, what, what did Paul write this letter for? You know, we talk about setting things right today. What was wrong? What was not right that Paul wanted to set right? And this chapter spells out two priorities that Paul had for Titus. Number one, it involved establishing sound leadership in the church. And that's why we're going to the section of appointing elders in the church. And secondly, there was a problem of some unsound doctrine going around in the church and Paul wanted Titus to refute that so it's about dealing with false teachers. If we carry on with verse 5, it tells us clearly what the first task for Titus was. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, Paul didn't have time to organize the church after he preached the word to them. He didn't have time to organize the church before he had to leave, but he made provision for the church to be established properly. He sent Titus to them so that Titus could help this fledging church appoint the right leaders for it to be established and to grow healthily. But Paul was also aware of the problem that the Cretan church was facing, as we shall talk about later namely that there's a lot of wrong teaching going around from some people within the church and it poses a danger to its health. So Paul assigned Titus also to sort this out and to put in order this unfinished business for this young church. So you can see these two areas, leadership and guarding the truth. Actually, it is not only something which is relevant for small, uh, young, growing church like uh, in Crete, which Paul was addressing, but it's also relevant to even established churches. It is always, in a sense, unfinished or ongoing business for the church that we have good leadership and that we guard the truth. Even for PPH, this issue is critical for us to stay healthy and to grow. For example, PPH is still looking for deacons for the next round. Uh, trying to get in new leaders for the future. So maybe as we do this, ah, uh, the next section on Titus one to six lists the qualification for elders. I will read them out, and I will ask for those of you who meet the qualifications. You know, uh, you raise up your hand. For instance, I start off with. Uh, you know, husband of one wife, you raise up your hand. All those with husband of one wife, raise up your hand, right? Then I'll read out the next quality, right? And if you, if you meet the quality, your hand continues to be up. I'll go on reading and reading until finally when we finish the list, we see whose hands is left standing, and then we ask senior pastor to talk to you to join the leadership team. No, I'm kidding, huh? of course. But I think it's good that we want everybody to reflect on whether God is calling us to rise up to leadership in the church. So let's look at the next section on the qualification for elders. But before I go on, I know some of you may be thinking, this is a section on qualification for elders. I'm not an elder, nor a leader, and maybe you think, I don't have what it takes to be a leader. So I don't need to pay attention to this part. But let me say that that is wrong thinking, all right? And let me explain to you why this actually is relevant to you. Number one, the leadership appointment process at PPH, you know, involves election, right? And voting. We just went through a diaconate confirmation exercise last month. So, church members have a role and a contribution to make in the selection of our leaders. And that includes praying. Right for godly, effective leaders, for the sound faith of this church. So you have a role in leadership selection. But I think the next two reasons are more important. The second reason is that the qualification of elders that's listed in God's Word actually represents qualities for other levels of church leaders as well. And some of us are already at other levels of church leadership. And in fact, it actually represents qualities that all believers should aim for as well. Later, we shall look at the list and the qualities listed. But if you look at it, you see, are they unique to elders? They are not, right? The Bible actually speaks of these qualities elsewhere as expectations or goals for the believers or followers of Christ. Examples, some of them are the fruit of the Spirit, like self-control. To be gentle so the list of qualities actually represents something which is common to our should be common to our goal for spiritual maturity that all of us should aspire to and to strive for so it is applicable to all christians whether or not we are leaders but of course the collection of qualities is especially relevant to those who are appointed to be leaders in the church and for some of us who may be already, in a sense, in some leadership role huh, in your life, example, as a parent or as a husband who's called to be a spiritual leader, these are the same qualities that should guide us on what a good leader should be. So the second reason is the qualities are goals for all of us for our spiritual maturity. And thirdly, who says you are not called to lead. There are various levels of leadership in the church, not just elders. It can range from just being a discipler who's leading one other person or mentor. It could be a leadership of a CG. It could be leadership for ministry. And of course, to be a deacon or elder. In fact, I would say, all of us are at least called to one, at least one level of leadership because Jesus, in the Great Commission, actually said, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything they have commanded you. Right? So go and make disciples just doesn't mean evangelising to people, but actually it means after we share our faith with people, we come alongside them and lead them in growing as a follower of Christ. So that is something which is not optional for us. All of us are called to go and make disciples of all nations. So we're called to be a leader at some level. But more than that, we should be open to God's call for the part He wants us to play in the body of Christ and how He wants us to be involved in leading others in His church. When senior pastor preached this sermon on Titus one in the year two thousand and four, he said there are three reasons why the section on appointing elders is relevant to us all, and he gave three words shown there: aspiration, preparation, and qualification. He began by reminding us that in First Timothy it says, "Here's a trustworthy saying: Whoever aspires to be an overseer or elder desires." a noble task. So the word of God actually exhorts us to aspire to and to set our heart on leadership. Secondly, preparation. All of us also should prepare for leadership. As we said, we are all probably at least called to the first level of leadership. So let's prepare for that. It's a matter of being a good steward. It's a matter of being a good follower of Christ to be prepared for God's use. And the specific qualities which we shall look at later helps us to be clear what we need to develop in as we prepare ourselves. So I hope I convince you the passage is not not just applicable to leaders, okay? Uh, but it's applicable to all of us, all the rest of us as well. So what does Titus 1 tell us about? the qualifications for elders. And let's read this, verse 6 to 9. It says, An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain." Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it had been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And besides this passage in Titus 1, there is also another passage in 1 Timothy 3. Which talks about the qualifications for elders as well. Now, if we collate both the list in Titus one and the list in First Timothy three, we get this whole list, which is a bit more comprehensive of the about twenty-one uh, characteristics, right, expected uh, that we should look at when we are choosing people to be elders or leaders in the church. I won't go into detail about these qualities because I think they are described quite clearly. We should understand what they are about. Okay? But I just want to point out uh, that they can be essentially grouped into three categories. Yeah? Okay, we will talk about the first thing, first quality. is says blameless above reproach later. But the next three categories really, the first one has to do with family life. Because I think the first responsibility that God wants us to discharge is the leadership responsibility He has called us to in our families, either as parents or as husbands. And what actually Paul is saying is that the first criteria that you need to look at is look at this person's family life. Because if he has been faithful in his marriage to his wife, if he has been faithful in managing his own family, that is an indication that he is able to take on the responsibility of being a leader for the church because he is doing already well in the responsibilities that he is supposed to undertake in his own family. And secondly, the second category you can see is a very, very big category. There are many, many uh, words there describing various aspects of character. And so we can see that primarily the main thing that God is looking for in His leaders, right, is character. Is how is our character. And finally, the last category is the leader in God's church must be able to know the Word of God, be convicted of its truth, and can also teach and correct others. So he must be able to lead in the aspect of teaching in God's Word. So when Paul told Titus or Paul told Timothy what to look for in in choosing uh, elders and leaders in the church, it's also interesting to note that other than what he spoke here, it's also interesting to note what he leaves out. And absent from this list is qualities that pertain to worldly success and position, all the accomplishments that we have. Even what, you know, uh, you would normally expect when you're choosing a leader in the in the corporate world, things like abilities, skills, huh? uh, whether the guy has potential. Okay, but really, what is highlighted has to do with reputation, moral character, ethics, temperament, habits, spiritual and psychological maturity. So these are the most important things, and this speak to us of what is important. When God looks at us and for choosing leadership for the church. And we don't have to worry, you know, as we think about being a leader in the church, we look at other people and say, hey, this guy, work, you know, he's more successful than me. I shouldn't be a leader. I should leave it to people like him. Right? God really looks at our character and he looks at our heart. And before we leave this section, I just want to say something about the first overarching Characteristic listed there. Sometimes it says it says blameless. Sometimes it says above reproach, right? Now this is the first characteristic, kind of like broad general characteristic which uh, Paul talks about, and I want to address this because I think we may in, misinterpret the word, right? If we look at the word just as it is, right, it will scare us off because we may feel that, wow, well, if being blameless being above reproach is the criteria for being a leader in God's church then really who can meet this criteria right i can i can meet this criteria now i think we need to clarify that paul is not saying that leaders need to be spotless and perfect only then then can you be a leader because if that is the case then there's no leaders for the church right because nobody is perfect right but paul what paul is saying is really that this person must be above reproach, this person must be respectable, he must have a good reputation with the people who know him. Being above reproach in that sense, right? And this really is a reflection of how this person lives his life in his family, with his relatives, with his friends, with his colleagues, right? And if he has a good reputation, then it shows, it probably shows that this is a growing and maturing disciple of Christ, someone who is mindful of living uh, with a sound faith. So that was Paul's first task of Timothy, appoint elders. And let's move on to the next thing Paul wanted uh, Titus, Titus to set right for the church in Crete. And Paul says... There are many rebellious people in the church, in Crete, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and will pay attention to Jewish myths and pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure all things are pure but to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure. In fact both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. So Paul next turns his attention for the, the church in Crete to the people who are rebels, the people who are teaching wrong things, whose behaviour is actually opposite of what Paul is advocating to be sound in faith and living a godly life. But what is interesting to note is how Titus is advised by Paul to handle these people. And it appears to be quite confrontative, right? Because he uses words like refute, refute them, silence them, rebuke them, warn them, right? So it looks quite antagonistic. But in contrast, when Paul advised Timothy also to deal, about dealing with false teachers, and we read this, he says, Paul told Timothy, he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome and must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So why the difference? On the one hand, Paul telling Titus, be harsh, be firm with them. But Paul telling Timothy, you know, approach them nicely, uh, try to instruct them gently. Was it because the situation or people that Timothy was dealing with is different from the ones that Titus was facing? Or was it because Timothy's personality, you know, sounds like a bit softer, than Titus' personality, which is harder. So maybe Paul is saying, do it in your own style, you know. Or is Paul actually saying, you can do both. You can rebuke someone sharply, but you can also do it gently. Okay? I think there are a few guiding principles that can be noted to deal with people who deny. As we think about how to deal with people who deny and oppose God's truth. So the first principle I think is firstly and it's quite obvious that wrong teaching is very serious business right so you can see why especially from what we read in Titus Paul is saying you got to tackle it right you got to tackle it you got to deal with it it is serious business instead of Paul's goal of furthering the aim the faith of the believers it had the opposite effect. This wrong teaching was actually ruining and destroying people's faith. So it's very serious. Therefore, Paul said, you must make great effort to instruct, to refute, to correct, to rebuke, to sort it out, right? How do we do this business about rebuking sharply and also instructing gently, right? I think this can be resolved if we are mindful about the third element. And the third element really is that it's a spiritual element, right, which Elder Edwin just shared with us three weeks ago in the Sermon on Ephesians 6. He reminded us that people are not our enemies, right? He says we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, And he said, we take too serious a stand against people, we take too casual an attitude towards Satan. So we need to understand that there are spiritual forces behind the falsehoods. I didn't, I didn't put this verse up, I should have. On 2 Corinthians 10, it tells us, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we must recognize that when we are dealing with false teaching, wrong teaching, there's a spiritual element behind it there, right? Which the evil one is trying to sow and and destroy the church, So we must definitely be tenacious, we must definitely be fierce and strong and strenuous and speak out against that, right? And especially we must wage warfare, spiritual warfare with prayer. And we must be very firm and uncompromising about that, right? So that's one aspect because we know that is an attack actually of the evil one, right? True persons. But at the same time, The next point also, uh, and Elder Edwin has also reminded us that really we are waging against the spiritual forces, but on the people level, what is Paul's concern? Point four. Paul actually, if you look at it, Paul was actually concerned also for these people who are teaching wrong teaching. He's actually concerned that they be corrected, that they repent, and they would become sound in the faith. So, there's two these two elements that are in, that, in there, right? So, therefore, his instruction uh, to Timothy that we must really gently, patiently, we must try to correct people. And hopefully, they can be corrected, right? And repent and come into uh, sound faith. But the last point is also important. Ultimately, if these people do not change, right? They have to be dealt with. And that's why Paul's, uh, what some some Paul of Paul has said to various people, including putting people out of the church, uh, have to be dealt with decisively because we have to protect the rest of the church from the harmful teaching. Right? So I hope these five principles give us a good idea of how we should deal with uh, false teaching. Right? It's something serious. We need to deal with it uh, decisively and well. So we have covered the whole of chapter 1 and what Paul conveyed to Titus. Okay, so as we said, there are two things Paul wanted Titus to set right. One is leadership for the church and number two is refute wrong teaching in the church. But what is most important is the goal of this, as we said. The goal of this was Paul's heart that the Cretan church be sound in faith. And that's God's heart for his church. That's God's heart for you and I, that we be sound in faith. So while we have understood what is relevant for the church in Crete, now we have to ask ourselves, what's relevant from this passage for us? Titus was put there to set something which is not right, to be right so that the people there in that church could be sound in faith. How about us? What might Titus be saying to us today? Because the Word of God, as it says here, everything that is written in the past is written to teach us, meaning you and me, right? Not just uh, the Titus and Timothy's. So that the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So are there things that we need to set right for ourselves, for a our sound faith? How is your faith? Compared to a year ago, are you more sound in the knowledge of the truth? Are you more godly in how you live your life? So that's for ourselves. And if you already have a spiritual leadership role, let's say as a parent or as a husband, how is the faith of your spouse, how is the faith of your child, your children, has it grown stronger compared to a year ago? And finally, in our church how have I been contributing to the faith of this church here at TPH? Because we are reminded in Ephesians, which we just did, that each one of us are given spiritual gifts to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the ways, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So the Word of God appears to tell us that if we all work together to build one another up, then already there's this protective effect you know that protects us from false teaching we're not get so easily swayed by false teaching just because we are helping to build one another up so back to the questions as i said this is this sermon series is a call for us to reflect right on the soundness of our faith how can we grow how can we stay sound in our faith So, if we have a positive answer to all these questions, praise God, that's good. Uh, Happy. Press on. But if things are not so right in some of these areas, maybe one or two, then I think it's a call to seek God to see what do we need to set right. What should we do to position ourselves, to position our our spouse, our children, to position ourselves as a church, right? to stay, to grow sound in faith. And let's be open to what God will say to us today and over the next couple of sermons on Titus about what we need to do. But for now, let me just give you a simple, practical, but I think effective suggestion on how we can put ourselves in a better position for a sounder faith. And that is, ask another person or get a few people together to journey with you on this. If you do not already have people journeying with you on your faith journey, ask to pair up with a friend so that you can encourage one another on, or friends, right? Or join a CG. If you're not part of a CG, join a small group. Or husband and wife, set up, you know, a time to pray together or do devotion together. Or if you don't have, start a family devotion, right, so that your family can come together, come to the Lord together. And even if you're in a CG, sometimes, you know, we, yes, CGs are good. We come together, we fellowship, we study God's Word, you know, we talk about how to apply the sermon. But sometimes we do not have that kind of relationship that really helps to keep spurring one another on uh, as, as individuals or as a, in a small group. So if you're CG, you can have a CG, but start something in your CG, right, that helps you to move together and journey and build your faith with one another. If you have already, great, carry on. If you haven't got such a group yet, make it a point, next week, by next week, set it up. Right? Set it up. If you used to have one, and now but you now you don't have any more, restart, okay? Restart getting somebody to journey with on this faith journey. I want to share with us some examples to encourage us. You know, I, I started uh, family devotion when the kids were young, and we still carry on i I would I just want to say you know it 's not been as faithful as 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 we can be right through the years, many times we miss and then we skip seasons, but at least we it was started, and it's something that the, the children are still getting together with us on the sunday evening uh, and this is good uh, not only for me to to talk to them right about god 's word, but you know they're they're adults now. they threw me a lot of challenging questions that I have to go and, you know, think about and, and, and my faith has to become, uh, my, my understanding has to become stronger uh, and my, my faith has to become stronger because of all the questions that they ask me. So it, it both ways, right? I try to help them, they in turn also help me to grow in my faith. The other example that I, I heard is in the Chinese assembly, you know, they started this business about, uh, they have a small group and then every day they actually Make it a point to read 10 chapters, which is a lot, I think, <laughs> 10 chapters from the Bible. And they journey with one another on this. Right? So every day, they will send each other WhatsApp. They say, Okay, I read this chapter, and this is some of the thought that God has put on my heart. Right. And they share with one another. And because everybody's doing it, you're kind of like, you know, reminded every day, and you move along, and, and we grow in the knowledge of God's word together. So this is how journeying with somebody. Can help us in our faith. So personal transformation doesn't happen as God intended unless it happens in the context of corporate renewal, and on the other hand, corporate renewal will not happen as God intended unless there is personal renewal. There's a quote from this book by Gene Getz. It's called "The Measure of the Man." Measure of a man. And this book, Pastor Chiming lent me. It's a useful book because it actually takes the qualities, the twenty one qualities just now we talked about, and there's a chapter on each quality. And if you want, you can actually use this when you journey with somebody. Go through each quality and ask, you know, how are you doing and how can we be better? And actually the story of how this book was born is that is, is that way, right? A group of men in Dallas, Texas, they decide to get together for 20 weeks and use the qualities from 1st Timothy three and Titus one. As a means to grow to be more mature men of God, they met every Tuesday morning from 6:45 to 7:45 a.m., and they spent half an hour to examine each quality one, one by one. What God Word said about that, and also share with one another. You know, what are the struggles, what are the victories, what are the experiences that we have, and challenge one another to grow in this quality. And they did that for 20 weeks. And according to this author, it says a number of men from their Bible study actually ended up becoming elders serving in the church. Yeah? So that's another good example for us. So I encourage us, a simple, practical, effective step for us to be in a better position to set right so that we can have a sounder faith is to find somebody to journey with. It helps and it works. As I close, I want to remind us that as First Peter says, our faith is of greater worth than gold. Nothing is more precious in your life than your faith in God. Nothing is more precious in your life, in your family's life, than their faith in God. And the faith of the church is precious also to God. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave His life on the cross and rose again from the dead to give us a living hope which our faith rests on. We need to cherish this and to be serious with what is left for us. So I end with this, which Apostle Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Christ has taken hold of us. Let's press on to take hold of that for which he took hold of us. Let's pray. I want to give you some time to reflect. Reflect on the questions just now that we asked. How sound is your faith? that of your family, that of the church? And what, what do you need to set right so that we can grow, so that we can remain firm, sound in faith for yourself, for your family, and for the church? Because God wants us to play our part in His church. Father, we come to you this morning and we we're reminded that our faith is of greater worth than gold. That's what your, your word tells us. And God, help us to, to cherish this, cherish this, steward this well. Lord, we, as we come to you, we want to be in a better position uh, to grow sound in our faith so that we can stand Firm, in times of trouble, in times where uh, false teaching comes in, so that we can be an encouragement also to those you've placed around us in our own lives, in our church life. So Father, we want this morning to to seek you on what we need to set right, and we want to ask that God you will show us. And we want to commit to this, O God. And Father, we also want to find people to journey with so that we can be encouraged by them and we can also encourage them. So lead people, Lord, into our lives. Strengthen already that we, we have such relationships that, God, we may indeed spur one another to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you have given to us to guide us into all truth. You are our counsellor. We thank you that you are given to empower us to live lives that are godly. That God, you have given us every spiritual blessing that we need to live a godly life. So thank you that God, you have provided for us. And God, we put ourselves into your hands that God, we may live more and more in the way which pleases you. And this we commit to you, Lord Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you.